What would happen if you did not attend elementary school and became an adult not having had the benefit of the training that comes from going to elementary school? Well, here's some obvious results. It's highly unlikely that you'd know how to read because you'd never have learned to associate letters with sounds to make words. Equally uh, true is that you would not know how to write. There'd be no practice in creating these letters. What would be also true is you probably couldn't count and do simple mathematical uh, transactions like balancing a checkbook. It doesn't require much in the way of intelligence to see that if you skipped elementary school and became an adult, you would be severely hampered by the lack of the training that comes from being in elementary school. Yet when you're an adult, there is something of a temptation to look back almost ruefully on elementary school because now you know what you know so well what you learned in elementary school that it doesn't seem so important a step. What's as I travel around today through the body of Christ, and this is true whether my travels take me domestically through this nation or internationally, I find a shocking level of immaturity among believers across the board from country to country and from leadership to, to new converts. And as I've looked at it, and considered it, I've wondered, why exactly is this so? Then I consider the church system. And what I see is that the entire system is set up first to gain members and second to keep members. And it actually benefits the present system to keep people in infancy. Yet, when you've been in infancy for long enough, for enough of a term of years, there is the belief that just because you've showed up every time the doors are open to the church building or the meeting place, that you have a certain seniority, and commonly that's the basis on which people are appointed to leadership. But I observe two recurring trends. One is the fact that people regularly say to me, I know that there is something more than what I have known or what I have understood. But whenever I ask the leadership, I'm routinely told that that's it. That's what we understand. The rest of it are in the realm of mysteries. You really can't understand. No one knows who can tell. The other thing that I've observed, and that's from the standpoint of the people, the other thing that I've observed from the standpoint of the leaders is, is equally shocking. And that is, when pressure comes, how quickly they go to ungodly methods for the resolving of problems. For example, I cannot begin to, to lay out the litany of times and, and, and circumstances in which, say, a problem arose among the leadership involving the misuse of money, the inappropriateness of sexual conduct, and so on. 
Do you know what the leadership routinely does? It's a shameful thing. The leadership routinely covers it up and throws the offender to the wolves. And if you ask them why, they will say, I've got to protect the church first. And if I tell the people what the truth is that has happened, they'll go somewhere else or they'll quit giving or, or whatever else. And yet the church today is congregated in increasingly larger and larger, but fewer in number, congregations. The small churches are disappearing and the mega churches are thriving, but there aren't any more believers being added and the quality of the believer is dramatically declining. The quality meaning the level of maturity in both the leadership and the people. The leadership being willing to employ ungodly methods for the preservation of the institution and the people not being sure what else there is and where else to go and how to even grow up. Now there's an answer to all of this. And the answer is as simple as elementary school. The book of Hebrews describes the elementary doctrines as the following six things. Repentance from acts that lead to death. Faith toward God. Baptisms, plural. The laying on of hands the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. The chances are, if you have not been studying the series with me, you probably have not heard of more than one of these six things. There may be several of these things you have not even heard of in your entire life as a believer, and you may have been in the church for any number of years. I'm telling you this plainly, you skipped elementary school and you have not the skills to grow up to maturity. Yet people want to grow on to maturity, but without the basic skills there is no way that you can. You do not acquire the basic skills, the basic understanding of these things and the practice of them routinely throughout your life without having first been exposed to them. The tragedy is that in the present cult of personalities, which is the classic formation of the modern church, everybody has a hero that they gravitate toward and they are known as the followers of this person or that person or the other person much like the Corinthians were followers and declared their following of Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and even some who said they were the Church of Christ, as opposed to not being Paul, Apollos, or Cephas. And the fact is the body of Christ is not divided, but in the modern church, like the ancient church, the people are seeing that their loyalty to Christ is defined in terms of their loyalty to movements and to the personalities associated with those movements. And the personality associated with those movements and those churches typically tend 
not to bother to disabuse their followers of that notion because it's all about how many people follow you and how influential you are in the marketplace. The result of which is as I have said, the leadership will do anything to keep the, 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 the systems propped up and to keep their agendas going and to keep their ministries solvent and thriving. And the people are suffering because they have not the basic training and understanding to go on beyond these stages of immaturity. If you were taught these elementary doctrines, this is what you would have known and practiced routinely throughout your life as a believer. If you had known about repentance from acts that lead to death, you would have known the way that the enemy targets you after you're a believer and how he would bring forth to you such things as would draw you into a defensiveness and, and as would make you to continue to be a victim of his schemes. You would know, for example, if the enemy brought back things that you've done in the past of which you've been forgiven, you would know that all you would have to do is declare that you were forgiven. If you were doing things presently that the enemy could use against you, you would know that all you'd have to do is repent. In that way, you'd break the hold of the enemy and you would live routinely being able to distinguish between when you're guilty and when you've been forgiven. The majority of Christians live in the gray area of not knowing what they're guilty of or even if they're guilty and the enemy has a field day with them. So if you had been taught the elementary doctrines, you would have always known that, it, that you can get rid of any demonic spirit that lives in you and that oppresses you, and that it would be a routine matter. It's no shame to have a demon, it's just a shame to have one you won't get rid of. But if you had learned the elementary doctrine, you wouldn't have considered it some great secretive ministry of deliverance. It would have been routine in your life, in the lives of your families, and in people around you. There's no point in having a deliverance ministry when it's something that's available to the whole body. If a demon offends, get it out of the way and go on. No point in making a livelihood out of that. If you had been taught faith toward God, you'd have always known that though the eternal is invisible, yet it's very real because you would have been taught how to recognize the evidence of things not seen so that your, your reliance on the truth would have been unfailing and unshaken year after year. As it stands, many believers will, in their day of trouble, wonder if God even hears them, wonder if their prayers are being heard. What we find is that we're still praying at the level of infants. There are multiple stages in the life of a believer, and you grow from one to another to another. When you're young in the Lord, you're still a child of God, much like when you're a newborn babe, you're still a member of the family. That's napios, that stage of life where the believer is just a baby. But then you grow to padeon, which is sort of the potty training stage. 
Then you grow to a technon, which is where you handle, like a teenager, you handle more complicated things. Then you become a fully mature son, or the huios, H-U-I-O-S. Then finally, when you've learned all these things, you become a father, a pater. Your faith then grows from the struggling faith of an infant who wants to be fed, to be kept dry, and to be put to sleep when they need to be. And these are the cryings that a child cries out for. That's analogous to when you're very young in the Lord, believing God for money, for your health, for your prosperity, for your well-being. But if that's where you stay in your faith in Jesus, then the greater things of the kingdom are not available to you. And you, you act like the Gentiles act. You continually beseech God for the things that perish. When the, when the scriptures say, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, these things will be added unto you. But you don't start out seeking the kingdom first. You start out asking God for a parking lot, uh, for a parking space in a crowded parking lot. You start out asking God for enough money to pay your bills and for your health and so on. That's okay. But there comes a point where your faith needs to grow beyond that and reach for the true riches of God, which are the treasures of the kingdom. It's God's great delight to give you the kingdom and to give you the Holy Spirit. Most people, all they will ever want are health and wealth. That says you're always in the infancy of the matter of your faith. If you are taught faith properly, as your stages grew, so would your faith. Therefore, you would not be stuck wondering if there's more to it than this. See, Then there's baptisms. We talked about four different baptisms. If people were brought, properly taught the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they would have always known that they were born again into a kingdom of power. So the Great Commission would not have been a suggestion but it would have been a commission corresponding to power. The power to accomplish the thing God has sent you to do. So the gospel and the going forth of the truth would not be limited to what, what you and a collection of you together can do. If you had learned about the baptism of the Spirit, then you would have always known you were born into a kingdom of power. And you would not come up with the ridiculous thought that you should seek God for who he is rather than for his power. You would know that when he came to you, he would come to you also with power. It's not one or the other, it's both. He comes being who he is. If you are properly taught the baptism by the Spirit, which is from 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, which says, For by one Spirit... We were all baptized into one body. You would have always known that you had a destiny in God, known from the foundations of the world. You would have always known that this destiny was how God intended to live and intends to live through your person in time and space. So you would never have wondered if you had a ministry. You would have always known that you have a ministry. And you would not simply settle for an adjunct of somebody else's ministry, nor would you find your identity in relationship to the charitable intentions of somebody else. 
And we would have always understood then that the leadership did not exist to articulate a ministry into which you could fit. But instead the leadership would exist to help you discover the ministry that God has for you and to assist you to take up that ministry and to walk in it. That being so, if you had seen that the baptism by the Spirit is your personal placement by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, consistent with the will and plan of God known for you from before the foundations of the world, then you would have also always known that there was only one body. And you would never consent to the division of the body because you would know that your personal role would be greatly enhanced, indeed would be fundamentally dependent upon everybody else being who God made them to be. If you were baptized in suffering, baptism of fire, you would have always known that it is by suffering that the soul is saved. It is not discipleship that saves the soul. Discipleship is a matter of holding people accountable. But it is suffering that causes you to let go of your notion of what you could do for God and be refined by the suffering to become so available to God, your ears, your senses attuned to God, that you could know what God was saying to you in the moment. And your soul would leave off what it wanted and would embrace what God wants. You would not consider suffering to be because you had messed up and God was angry at you, or that you were just doing the wrong thing. You would know that there was a place for it, and you would not just repent again and again and again of things you'd already repented of. You would see that suffering was leading you into another place of awareness and understanding of the things of God. And finally, under the subject of baptisms, if you were baptized in water, you would have always known that the old creature had died and a new creation had risen up where the old creature was. So when the enemy came back to accuse you of things you've done before you were a believer, in some cases 20, 30 years ago, you would know that he was wrong, that he was false, and you wouldn't give in to it. You would understand that Jesus pleads your case for you and would, has already offered satisfaction for your sins. God had already accepted the satisfaction. And so even if you were personally guilty of these things, there was no basis on which you might be condemned. These things you would know if you had been taught the matter of baptisms. If you had been taught the laying on of hands, you would have known that in addition to the purpose of the laying on of hands for healing that you and for the baptism of the Spirit, you, were also, you would also expect at a certain point in your life to be confirmed in who you are in the Lord. That you have a purpose, a destiny, a calling from God, and that you were to be confirmed in it. And at a certain point after you were confirmed, you could be released to go forth whether it's in your own location, on a broader basis, or even into the world, you could go forth into your calling, having been properly commissioned and properly sent. If you were taught, then, the, the doctrine of the laying on of hands, you would expect to be conform, confirmed. The majority of people are struggling to have a ministry because they've never been confirmed and sent. 
The churches are not set up to send you. They talk about releasing the church, but they have no clue as to what to do. Because the politics of the present church is to gather up and keep, not send. Gather up and keep as many as they can. And what they will do is they'll create ministries to try to involve you in those ministries so you will stay faithful to that church group. But the truth is, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You have a unique ministry, not some church program that you're meant to fit in. Confirmation through laying on of hands and the sending would result in an anointing sufficient to establish you and to bring you forth in the things of God. The, the, beyond that, the resurrection of the dead, you would know that our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is unique in all the earth that God can only be described as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because God proved that Jesus is the one who speaks for him inasmuch as Jesus was raised from the dead. That being so, we serve a living God, not a dead God, not an idea, not cosmic karma, not the collective unconscious, but a person who is alive and his resurrection from the dead is the proof that he told us the truth, and therefore our faith in him is not in vain. With the resurrection of the dead, we would also believe that not only was Jesus raised from the dead, but you who are born again have been raised also from the dead, and the condition of death that is associated with Adam, and your birth and life through Adam, that death would have cancelled your association with Adam, made you available for adoption as a son of God. And you would have always known then that you were raised up, not as a creature, a sinner saved by grace, but a new creation who has a divine nature, which is the impartation of your father to you, the evidence of which is the presence within you of the very blessed Holy Spirit. You would have always known that. And finally, you would have known, in connection with the resurrection of the dead, you would have known to expect that even though you die, you will live again. So death has no sting. The grave has no victory. You cannot be subject to the spirit of death or hell. And in the last day, your body, which was sowed in the earth, will be resurrected and brought back from heaven ascended to heaven and brought back in fulfillment of the truth that you are born again from above. God said so, and the day will come when he'll show it to the whole earth as the millennium begins. And finally, if you were taught eternal judgment, you would not mindlessly embrace Christian activism because you would understand that there are limits to what God allows you to do in redressing evil in this present world. You would not be bound by a linear view that says we have got to do something about it, otherwise nothing will be done. You would, always, you would have always known that when God does not redress the matter here and now, that there is yet coming a day in which he will bring every thought, every action into judgment. And that even though he allows evil to proliferate, he uses the, pre the prevalence of evil in the world to establish the righteousness of his own judgment. And you would not be moved by the imperialism of doing something to redress the wrong 
when the thing you would do would itself be wrong. So you would not compromise the absolute certainty of the Christian faith for the rather tentative and tenuous result of some immediate social action. You would not be blown around, whether by political activism, whether by joining political parties, whether by protesting various things. You would know what the Spirit wants you to do about anything. These are the reasons that Christians are stuck in this basic place, knowing there is more to it than that, but somehow not being able to transcend, because you've never been taught the elementary doctrines. If, you, if this is the first of these broadcasts that you're listening to, you have got to go back and get copies of the entire set of 12 additional messages fully prosecuting the elementary doctrines. I hope you are blessed as you study these things. I am Sam Solon. God bless you. Grow up to maturity in the name of Jesus. Amen.